0: open scripture together. And if you'll if you want to follow along, you can find our passage today on page sixteen forty two in the blue book in front of you. We'll be reading from the twenty fourth chapter of Luke, verses thirteen through thirty five. Before we do that we'll spend just a moment in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we can open it together today. We pray that you will open our minds and our eyes to see your truth. Amen. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you, the, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had a scene, a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Back in my family history, we uh, supposedly somewhere four or five generations, it's, it's back a ways. They, they immigrated from the Netherlands to Indiana, uh, northwest Indiana and uh, northeast Illinois, kind of in that area, and, and they lived there for quite a long time, and, and so for most things in my family history, we kind of ad- adopted a, an American culture rather than a, a Dutch culture growing up because for the most part, after five generations, we simply lost touch with that heritage. But there are a few things that kind of stood out that I was told really had to do with, with kind of the family's ethnic background and cultural heritage. One of them was olebolin, uh which is a, a wonderful treat uh, at the Christmas, New Year's time, uh, delicious and messy. Uh, the other thing I was told was our stubbornness. We are known to be a stubborn people. In fact, we called it the Schoon stubbornness. And I was told, I learned these things along the way, that it had to do because we weren't really from Holland, we were from Friesland. And there was a difference between the two. And so if you are free, you are stubborn and you can argue with anybody about anything at any time. At least that's what I was told. No offense if you don't believe that. (laughs) This text has some incredibly stubborn people in it. Some people who are refusing to believe and accept what's put in front of them. And they are arguing. I I love how, how the text says it in English here. It, it puts it so politely. It says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, the words behind that are really they argued vociferously. All right? That's really what's happening. They're walking down the path out of Jerusalem, two people arguing with each other, and they are deep in debate and, and back and forth, back and forth, voices raised. So much so, they don't even see Jesus walk up on them. That's what's happening here. They are in deep debate and argument. They are heated in this conversation. Well, it's not even conversation. They're heated in this argument. Their stubbornness is on full display with each other, except what they're trying to figure out is how to piece together two things that don't make sense the first thing that doesn't make sense to them is that Jesus died. All their lives they have been hoping for a Messiah. In fact, if you go back in Israel's history, it's 800 plus years of longing and hoping for this Messiah. They've been looking forward to the day when God would send someone who would free them from all their oppressors. the Religious oppressors, their military oppressors, their economic oppressors, that someone would step in and give them the freedom that they had longed for, the freedom that had been promised to them. And here they had seen Jesus do some incredible things. And he stood up to the religious leaders, and he wasn't afraid of the military leaders, and, and he had actually raised people from the dead. And he had done all sorts of miracles along the way. They were convinced he was the promised one. And then he died. It didn't make sense to them because everything else said, this is the person through whom God will work to restore the people of Israel to their power and glory and prestige among the nations. And he was dead and gone. And their hearts were ripped open and their hope was dashed. Everything they had hoped for. Everything they thought was about to happen. Their biggest dreams were ripped away at the last moment in such a violent and unexpected way, they couldn't make sense of it. And the other thing, the other thing that enters into this story that they're not sure what to do with, And they started arguing about is the women who had been along. The women who had been following with them for years and and, and they had seen day in and day out and they knew to be trustworthy people. These women had come running back to them that very morning and said, he's alive. We've seen angels. They've talked to us. The tomb is empty. We don't know what to do with this. And here are Cleopas and his other friend who goes unnamed walking down out of Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus and they have two things they can't make sense of. And they're trying to put them together and they're trying to comprehend where is God's faithfulness? Where is God's faithfulness to deliver us? And at the same time, how do we understand something that's never happened before? someone who's been in the grave for three days coming back to life. I like this passage. It's one of the passages I go to when I've had my own doubts along the way skeptical people people who had seen Jesus face to face they had walked with him they had heard with him they had eaten with him and they are full of doubts and fears and uncertainty I don't know about you but that gives me comfort I've not seen Jesus face to face I've had doubts And here are the people who saw him face to face and they are having a difficult time comprehending God's goodness and the way God went about our salvation. There's another beautiful passage with, with the 11, the people who actually walked even closer with Jesus. And, and it's at the end of Matthew, and, and Jesus is about to go back up to heaven, right in front of their eyes. And, and as he's gathered with them, it, the text says, they worshipped him and some doubted. Do you catch that? They've seen him. They've touched him. They've eaten with him. They've laughed with him and cried with him and prayed with him. They watched him die and they saw him come back to life. And still some of them doubted. And it's to those who were doubting that Jesus ends up giving that command, go into all the world and make disciples. You who doubt, it's okay. Go make disciples. It blows me away to see the grace of God in that text and in this one. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out in order to come to Jesus. In fact, we don't really have to have much of it at all figured out other than hearing that Jesus is saying, I'm here for you. I died so that you might live. I've risen from the dead so that you might have eternal life. We saw a profession of faith in baptisms this morning. And over the last six, seven weeks, we've met together each week and and we've talked about different aspects of the Christian faith and and gone over Christian history and, and pieces of Reformed doctrine together. But you know what? They're just on a milestone marker of a longer journey. Those of us who profess our faith haven't finished this journey of discipleship. We, like on those people on the road to Emmaus, they've been disciples and they are being called into a lifetime of discipleship. They're still in the midst of doubts and questions and wonderings. I would dare say, I'm not going to put you on the spot, I would dare say there's still questions and things that you're going, ah, I don't get it yet. I know I have that. Doubters, welcome on the Emmaus road. Skeptics, welcome on the Emmaus Road. And here on that road, Jesus comes in, and I love his first words, you foolish guys. <laughs> Do you catch that? You foolish guys. And it's not, a, it's not a beating them up. It's the women already told you. <laughs> they already told you what's happened. Why are you so resistant to hearing the word I gave them to give to you? And he goes on and begins to take the time to walk through Scripture with them to address their doubts and their concerns and the things they didn't understand. And he begins himself to explain, what you saw happen of me dying, that's how it was supposed to happen. Things got twisted along the way and people's expectations got built up in a different way. But it was supposed to happen that I would suffer and die and then be raised back to life. What begins to come out of Jesus' explanation there is a statement to them, a correction, if you will. They have been hoping for someone who would give them military power and freedom that comes with a strong military. They have been hoping that someone would come along who would give them economic resources where other nations would come in and pay tribute to them. They would have trade deals that benefited them and they were hoping to have religious freedom where they could worship God the way they felt God had called them to. And they wanted all these freedoms which were all temporal, but they're all tied into a deeper enslavement. An enslavement to sin. An enslavement to death itself. And Jesus is saying to them, what you were looking for is only the surface It's only the benefits that come along with it. The real thing that you needed a Messiah for is not the political freedom or the economic freedom or the religious freedom. What you really needed a Messiah for is for your own salvation and your relationship with God and with other people. And that only comes when death has been accounted for and sin has been atoned for. It's the deeper need you have. It's the deeper oppression that's over all of us and Jesus explains from Scripture that those sins were being atoned for. And then they get to that place. And they get to that place where they're about to have that meal. They come in. I love that they, they act in a hospitable way to Jesus, saying, come on in. They don't recognize him yet. And as they come in, he moves from a role very subtly there of being the guest to taking the place of the host. He turns the tables in their own house. And though they have set the table, he's the one who comes up to them and, and he takes that bread and he breaks that bread right in front of them. And it's as he breaks that bread, as he takes that role of being their host in their own house, in their own circumstances, in the own places where they are at, that they begin to see who Jesus really is. Where are our hearts not burning within us? Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Where are our hearts not burning within us? Have you ever had those moments where you feel like this is right? This is true this makes sense. It's suddenly some things that seem disparate come together. Some things that seemed apart from each other are drawn together and you go, ah, yes! That's what's happening here. It's things that they couldn't make sense of, things they couldn't wrap their minds around suddenly coming together to the point where they go, now we see. Now it makes sense, at least a little bit. And filled with that joy, they run back to Jerusalem. It's actually a seven-mile hike from Emmaus to Jerusalem. And they rush back to tell the other disciples. And when they get there, they experience an Easter gift upon an Easter gift. Not only have they encountered the risen Savior, as if to add to the weight of the moment and the validity of the moment they hear that Jesus has started showing up to others as well. You know what we do here? It's that very act of running back when we encounter Jesus somewhere, even a little glimpse of him, and we run back to share it with somebody else. And as we're sharing it with somebody else, they in turn say, I've got to tell you what I've heard about Jesus. And it becomes this back and forth sharing and mutual encouragement If you were to read the text even a little further than what we did this morning, the very next scene is as they're encouraging each other and as they're sharing with each other how they've experienced Jesus and seen Jesus, Jesus shows up in their midst. Begins to talk to them, all as a group. Isn't that a beautiful image of what it means to be the people of God today and to be church today? That as we come together, as we gather on this Easter Sunday and on each Sunday which both remembers Easter and anticipates that day when God will make all things new, as we come together to be able to say to one another, I encountered Jesus this week and I need to let you know. I heard about Jesus this week and I need to let you know. And as we begin to tell those stories together, our faith is encouraged. Our faith begins to grow. Our hearts begin to burn with the presence of God dwelling among us. It doesn't mean we won't have our doubts. It doesn't mean that we won't have moments where we don't understand. But it does become a gift of God's grace in our midst. And in fact, in a few moments when we participate in this meal and we taste the bread and and we drink the cup, It's one of those tangible reminders that this isn't just a a legendary story that happened once. It is a true story that has shaped generation after generation after generation and continues to shape the people of God throughout the world. God Himself is with us. God Himself came in Jesus Christ to atone, to make right all that we had done wrong, to take upon himself our sins and in taking upon himself our sins to give us forgiveness so that we can be reconciled with each other and reconciled with God, made right with God. And in that, to be assured that one day God will finish the work that he began on that cross that he moved forward through his resurrection of making all things new so that death is gone and crying and mourning and pain and the brokenness that marks our lives is removed and even our stubbornness is taken away so that together we can with all God's people throughout world and throughout the world and across time and culture be able to say Christ is lord He is risen today. Alleluia. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that as you gather us together, we don't have to have all the answers. I thank you that we don't have to pass some test before we can respond to your grace. That you show us yourselves in bits and pieces as we can handle them and you draw us to yourself. You are the one who makes yourself known. We thank you for the way you made yourself known to the women at the grave, to the men who were walking on the Emmaus Road, to Simon and to the other disciples, that you continue to show yourself again and again in those few days after your resurrection. We thank you that generation after generation has continued to live in the reality of your new life. We pray that all people may come to see you and come to know you. May you fill us, Lord, this day with what we need to take one more step with you than we've taken before. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. In recognition that this gift and this grace that we experience is not of our own making, I invite us to stand and sing together the song in Christ alone.